now that we hopefully have an understanding of how humanity failed after the Noahic covenant to uh, for Noah to live appropriately as God's steward of that covenant and for mankind that came from Noah to spread out and populate the earth, uh, being responsible to God, not to other mankind, even though he had given uh, he had delegated powers to the nations not to treat the nations as God in God's place, uh, which was the particular sin of Babel. So now we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant and uh, particularly Abraham's path to faith, to believing in God. Uh, the second division of the Abrahamic covenant that we'll look at is Abraham's faithfulness, how his faith led him to uh, actually trusting and abiding in God rather than just simply believing in his promises, but acting on that belief in his promises. So first, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And one of our favorites, Elliot Johnson, writes that in creation, God spoke into existence. So in history, God speaks to stewards and entrusts God's word to them so as to establish God's kingdom on earth. Stewards manage life according to the word as they experience God's will on earth, and God's word is progressively unfolding from patriarch to patriarch. So we will see through the rest of Genesis how uh, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph all the way down to Moses, God is relaying information to his patriarchs, and their responsibility is to act on that information, but also to pass that information along to their descendants. Uh, and that is particularly the function of this Abrahamic covenant. Uh, but it also did happen prior with Adam and with Noah being patriarchs as well, but not as um, not in the same exact manner here as Abraham will function as a steward of God's word. Uh, the narrative begins with God's choice of Abraham in Genesis 11, and then the story consists in two spiritual plots in which he is molded to be God's steward in heart. Number one, resolving the conflict from a divided heart to a heart of faith, and two, resolving the conflict from faith to faithfulness. God's promise called Abraham to rest in, uh, no period there, God's commitment was the possession of the promised land. It was land that would support the lives of his offspring with blessings. The possession was as certain as God's oath, but delayed by the spiritual condition of the residents of the land. So we see the beginning of this Abrahamic covenant in the form of a promise in Genesis 12. Uh, but first, before the promise, God will command Abraham to do something. So he says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, Abraham is faithful in a way to this, but not completely. He takes his father, he takes his cousin, he takes his whole family with him. Now, remember, his family is serving other gods. God is calling him out, calling him away in order to um, curate Abraham's faithfulness. But with this polygamy of his family, that, uh, that curation will be hindered. 
So God is pulling him out of that culture and telling him, don't take your family with you. But Abraham does take his family and it causes a delay in God giving these blessings to Abraham. Uh, so Johnson here says, in order to see the land, Abraham had to leave his homeland as commanded. For Abraham to be shown the land by God, he had to separate from possible distracting influences in his, his familial relationships. As means, this is distinct from conditions. So these are not conditions of God giving him these promises, but they are the means of God giving them to him. So God will work his plan out uh, despite the failures of man. Uh, the difference is that the, a condition describes an action without which the promises would not be kept. A means is one action among a number of possible actions by which the promise could be kept by God. So God is intending to keep a promise, and he's not putting conditions on Abraham. But where Abraham falls, fails to be faithful, it changes the timing, it changes the way, or it changes the means through which God will bring about um, his means or his end. Uh, and this is the promise that God gives to Abraham. He says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Oops, now we have three major divisions here in this promise of blessing. So we've got personal blessings given to Abraham that it would make his name great, that he would be a blessing. Uh, this, will be, uh, this will become a reality in the way that he's able to bless some neighbor of his. In uh, chapter 14, he rescues the uh, king of Sodom from a local king who's seeking to destroy his nation. He rescues Lot on more than one occasion. Uh, so he is able to be a blessing uh, to the nations around him, but not to all the nations around him. We, we saw just a couple of chapters before 70 different nations listed. He's hardly a blessing to all of them at this point but to a few of them he is during his lifetime. Uh, also, he is, uh, let's see, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. Uh, this, oh, and then through all the families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, this finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, but at this point in Revelation, uh, Moses writing to the the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt, that would not be fully understood. But what they could understand was that their nation was particularly used by God to bless other nations. Uh, so here in verse 4, we see that Abraham is uh, faithful to a point. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So at this point, Terah has died in the land of Haran, and Lot has waited, or not Lot, 
Abram has waited until his father died in Haran to leave. So he is, he spent quite a bit of time not obeying God, where had he obeyed God earlier, the promises or the covenant that God is uh, going to enact may have been ratified earlier. But we see God is patient with Abraham, fully intending to bring about his promises through him, but uh, waiting for faith and faithfulness to, uh, to meet up with him. So this is different than how he's, he treated uh, Adam, for example, where he put Adam into a situation and told him, uh, be obedient to this. Here he is guiding Abraham to curate obedience uh, by giving him smaller lessons, smaller tasks in order to be given larger responsibilities. So then we see the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. So we see that Abraham struggled in his obedience to separate himself from his family, to travel all the way to the land that God had promised him. But when he does arrive, God doubles down on his promise and says to your descendants, I will give this land. Now, it is possible had Abram been obedient immediately, perhaps Abram himself would have been given this land, but it is going to be given to him through his descendants. Uh, and we see that his response is a response of faith, that he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Remember, Noah built an altar immediately after the flood, and it was a sweet um, scent in God's nostrils, as well after uh, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they approached God through sacrifice. So here we see Abram uh, being faithful to bring a sacrifice before the Lord, likely an understanding that uh, he is unworthy to be in the presence of God, similar to the reason Abram, or not Abram, Noah and Adam brought their sacrifices. So Johnson continues, unexpectedly, Abram found the land in famine. Even though the land would be given and he would be blessed, the land could not support his family's life. So he turned to Egypt for help, com compromising his wife and God's promise of offspring. When he left Egypt, he was shamed by his compromise, yet God had provided rich blessings. When the question of support for his family arose a second time, he had learned that God was sufficient. Abram gave Lot first choice of land and waited on God, and the Lord clarified the promise of land to Abram. The conflict created in Abram's spirit was being resolved as the divided heart to faith. Did Abram have faith? Yes. Was Abram justified by his faith? Not yet. So, uh, most of us are probably familiar with the story that happens later on in Genesis 12, where uh, there's a famine in the land, so Abram and his wife Sarai go down to Egypt, and Abram is scared for his own life, so he says, rather than she's my wife, he says she's my sister. Uh, now, it, it puts the king of Egypt in a rather sticky situation when 
God reveals to him that this woman is Mary and that king uh, does respect the, the bond of marriage and is at that point angry with Abram for having lied to him and possibly subjected him to the wrath of God. Uh, so we see Abram trying to fix his own problems and God teaching him through that, um, that God will take care of him, that he isn't to fix his own problems, but rather to trust and to rest in the Lord. And the next time he's encountered with the opportunity, he does trust in the Lord, where he lets Lot choose the land first. Um, and then he chooses the land that isn't perhaps looking um, as full and as lush as the lot that lay the lot that Lot chose, um, but it is the land that God intended for him to have. So here we read in Genesis 13, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So again, when Abram is faithful or uh, demonstrates his faith in the Lord's provision, God amplifies this promise that he's giving to him, adds more detail to what he plans to do through Abram. Uh, and this includes that this promise of land will be forever, uh, meaning completely without end, given to his descendants and that his descendants would be so numerous that they're uh, uncountable. Also, Abraham then goes and walks through the land that God has promised to him, this land which God uses directional markers to indicate this was a literal lot of land and uh, not in any way figurative. Neither are the descendants that he is promising to him. We'll talk about that later. They're both spiritual and physical descendants. Um, and that is a forever covenant, so it is without end. Uh, we see now that Abraham continues to grow in his faith toward God, and when he has to go and fight off some, some neighboring warlords, uh, he is faithful to do so and also not to take any riches from that spoil. Uh, when he refuses those riches, the prophet king Melchizedek, or the priest king Melchizedek, uh, appears to him. Now, many believe that this is either Shem, who the, uh, the uh, priesthood had been given down through Noah, uh, that that seed promise had been continued through Noah to Shem, that this Melchizedek is the king and also the line of the seed, who bears that promise from God. I think this is the most likely. Uh, Shem would have been alive still during the lifetime of Abraham. So it is possible 
if not likely, that this is the king Melchizedek. It's also possible that this is the Lord himself in a Christophany, where the Lord appears as the angel of the Lord prior to his incarnation. Uh, both are possible. I tend to lean towards Melchizedek being Shem, uh, because, uh, frankly, the, the Lord is described in different ways. Um, and then he later becomes a priest in the line of Melchizedek, so it would be handing it from himself to someone else, only to take it back himself later on in the book of Hebrews. But uh, anyways, Abram is blessed by this king Melchizedek for his faithfulness. It says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong, uh, or anything that is yours for fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. So Abram here is worshiping, praising the Lord, and also making sure that the Lord's testimony takes priority, that God has promised to make Abram rich, that God has promised Abram land, seed, and blessing, and that he wants no neighbor of his or no man on earth to be able to take claim of that because that is God's claim. Based on this faithfulness, God then decides to ratify a covenant with Abram. So it's no longer simply a promise, but he's going to have a legal covenant with him. So it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abraham, or Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. So Abram's concern here is not whether or not the Lord will give him um, the great reward or the great blessing, but he understands that it's a reward promised also to his descendants, but God has not given him any physical descendants. So he's essentially here asking God, um, is it to be passed off to an heir who's not a direct descendant of mine? But God responds to him. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So this was actually the verse that the, excuse me, um, it's repeated in the book of Galatians. It was probably the verse that triggered uh, in Martin Luther, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation, that Luther came to understand faith in God through Christ alone, through faith alone, uh, 
where Paul in the book of Galatians alludes to this, this verse in the Old Testament saying that Abraham was justified before God when he believed and his belief was reckoned to him as righteousness. Well, here, Abram is believing in the promises of the Lord, the promises of the Lord specifically for a seed that he has promised. This is the seed who would become Jesus Christ in its full or in its ultimate fulfillment. Uh, so this, um, similarly to uh, Genesis 3.15, is looked at as an Old Testament gospel passage where we see um, confirmation of Abraham's saving faith. Uh, but it's, uh, it won't last too long here. His, his faith or his salvation is secure, uh, but we will see his faith wane uh, later on. So uh, here in Genesis 15, 7, we continue, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. Now, this, uh, this can be quite striking to us, uh, especially since it's the first time anything this graphic has really appeared in, uh, in Genesis. But it's what's called a near, let's see, an ancient Near Eastern covenant. Uh, it's also referred to in the book of Jeremiah, and we're given a little more detail as to its purpose. Uh, this covenant is called a self-imprecation, where... Uh, what you do to these animals is the, uh, the implied uh, penalty for breaking this covenant, where just as these animals are cut in, cut in half, so you would be cut in half for breaking this covenant. Um, so God is making a very serious covenant with man, no longer universal here. Uh, it is with a people group, a subsection of humanity, but it is, the, it is an eternal covenant that has no end. And uh, since it has no end, its, uh, its initiation has to be a little more sure, a little more dramatic, even if you would, um, in order to guarantee its coming about. So we see the the uh, formalization of this covenant, it says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark 
and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So, see, back here, uh, God is giving him this covenant in order to make it certain that, um, that all of these things will come about. But God also adds a little more information that he hasn't added yet to this point that the, uh, the fulfillment of this promise, the fulfillment of this covenant, would not take place for yet another 400 years. Now, as, as Abraham has gone the last uh, 23 years or so, uh, since God first gave him his promise, part of the reason that Abraham has continued to fail, as we can see uh, through uh, what we've already looked at in, in these verses was that he wasn't sure of how God's promise would come about. He wasn't sure at what time it would come about. So the lack of instant fulfillment was perhaps troubling to Abraham. But God is not willing to speed up his purpose. However, he is willing to let man in on his purpose. Uh, we we have a very similar uh, comfort in prophecy in the New Testament. Whenever the return of Christ is spoken about, it's spoken about in terms of how we ought to live our lives now because of the sure hope that we have uh, that the Lord will return. Uh, similarly, I think it's functioning for Abram here, where God is ensuring him through prophecy um, that God's purpose will be brought about, um, but even if that's not during Abram's lifetime. And the purpose of the delay for the 400 years, he says, is because the sins of the Amorite is not yet complete. The Amorite and of Canaan, that land which, um, which belonged to the son of Ham, and the sins of the Amorites would be particularly plagued with sins and They had uh, one of their gods is Moloch, and that's a god that will continue to plague the uh, Jewish people who do not fully get rid of the, uh, the Amorite pagan religions. That god Moloch is a fertility god, which they would sacrifice um, infants too. Uh, they burn it in fire as a sacrifice for Moloch. Uh, so that's kind of just a sample of what was going on there um, in Canaan when Israel came to uh, came to cleanse the land, uh, for lack of a better word. But that's what God is waiting for, essentially. He's waiting for the Amorites to become so corrupt that his dislocating them from that land is fully justified. Elliot Johnson again says, this is called an unconditional covenant because its existence was not conditioned on anything Abraham did because he was asleep. The covenant's very existence assured him that it would be inaugurated in fulfillment in the future. Then unilaterally, the Lord revealed the promise that the gift of land was to your offspring. 
and the land boundaries were specified geographically. The covenant and not circumstances will determine the possession of the land. So God has uh, given Abram assurance of the promises that he's given him, not conditions. God is promising that these promises will come about. And uh, in order to make this covenant, rather than partnering with Abram and making, the, uh, making there be conditions on Abram, he puts Abram to sleep and passes through himself, uh, meaning that God would take on the full consequences of breaking this covenant. So God has so bound himself to this covenant that he is um, he has staked his very uh, immutability on this covenant, which is why a lot of a lot of theologians call this one of the most important sections of scripture, if not the most important section. Uh, it does dictate the rest of scripture.